Over the last couple of weeks, we've been going through the Christmas story and looking at people who were part of the story. We began with Simeon, who was approached by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came to him and said before he would die, uh, he would see the Messiah, and he did. Last week, we looked at, through the eyes of Joseph, the earthly father, and the heavenly father, God himself. And we saw with Simeon, it was a picture of hope. We saw with Joseph and was a picture of trust. And today we're going to look at the Christmas story through the eyes of Jesus. It's a picture of love. Love broke through. It's a rescue story. We were lost and, and Jesus still is coming and he came at Christmas. You really have to answer this question. You have to answer this question. What do you do with Jesus? Either you believe him or you don't believe him. Why else would Jesus come from heaven to earth Not only is it recorded in our Bible, but if you check history, you'll see that Josephus and Philo both record that Jesus walked on planet Earth. He died on the cross. He was resurrected. There's proof historically that it happened. You have to ask the question, then why did he come? Why would he leave heaven, come to Earth for any other reason? He didn't come like, hey, I want want to be on an adventure. I think I'll I'll go down to Earth, check out Earth, and I'll, I'll go and die on the cross, and I'll resurrect myself. No king would ever do that. You have to answer the question, why did Jesus come? And the reason he came is because there were people who needed rescued. And we, without Jesus Christ, can never get to God. And so at some point in your life, when you have your head on the pillow at night, you have to answer this question. Is Jesus who he said he was? Is he who the Bible says he is? And can he really save us of our sins? You have to answer that question. At some point, you got to do. You reject that or you believe that. It's a rescue story. That's why Jesus came. It's because we need it rescued because we're lost. There have been different times in my life where I've been physically lost and I've seen other people lost. When Ann and I were at Grace Seminary and Josh and, and Hannah were just small at the time, we had a neighbor whose name was Barney and he was in a, a sweet older gentleman, as was his wife, and he came over to us one time and told us that, don't be surprised if you see my wife out walking around, wandering around, not sure where she is. She had the early stages of Alzheimer's. So from time to time, we would look for her, and we would see her walking in the middle of the street. It wasn't uncommon early in the morning to see her out in her nightgown, walking away, and Barney looking for her. And there were different times along the way where he couldn't find her and the authorities had to come back and bring her back. She was lost and didn't even know she was lost. And she needed to be found. There's all kinds of lostness. Have you ever walked into a woods or been in a mountain or a jungle and and been to a foreign place where you decided that you would take a walk out into this mountain area or this woods and you kind of got your bearings. Here's the east and the west. You knew east and west, sunrises and, and, and sunsets. And you knew what north and south was. And you kind of had a marker out there. And, and you say, if I keep that mountain range in sight, I know the direction I need to go. But have you ever walked into the heart of a woods or the heart of a mountain and looked around and thought, I don't know where I'm at? Have you ever been lost like that? There have been times along the way for me hunting um, that I've stood in the middle of a mountain of Pennsylvania, uh, West Virginia, and lost my bearings for a while. And have you ever been driving a vehicle and your wife looks at you and said, do you know where you're at? And you don't have a clue where you're at, but you won't admit that you don't know where you're at. That's a form of lostness too. It's called pride. 
I don't, I'm not going to let you know that I'm lost. I'm in full and complete control. There's all kinds of lostness and lost people in our world. Jesus tells this story. It's an incredible parable that he mentions. And he uses the analogy or the metaphor of sheep. He said there are 99 sheep that are found and one that's lost. And we should leave the 99 in the open field and then go find the one that's lost. Jesus says we should rescue those that are lost. The Christmas story through Jesus' eyes is a story of rescue and love. Grab your Bibles and I'll show you what I mean. And turn to Luke chapter 15. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Luke chapter 15. And we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Matthew, Mark, Luke. Luke, who was a doctor inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this gospel. Stand with me and we'll read this together. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 7. Luke 15, verses 1 to 7. Let's read this together out loud. Ready, read. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there would be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. You may have a seat. But as you're taking a seat, I want you to look at the context again of Jesus telling this story. Look at verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus is being criticized because he's spending time with sinners. Now, when the Pharisees referred to these the the sinners here, it was a reference to thieves, prostitutes, and robbers. And they have an issue that Jesus would take time and sit with them. But as Jesus is there, he's gathered around them and they're gathered around him. Why? Because they know that he loves them. Jesus' love reached far and wide. Jesus didn't put any categories or restrictions on his love. But these Pharisees could not believe that Jesus was taking time in their minds, the lowest of lowest category of society. Religious people were were always felt like, You should never give time to those in their mind that were less than them. But Jesus never values people and loves people differently. The worst of the worst came to Jesus and he welcomed them. His love was always reckless and he would always be criticized for loving those that to others seemed unlovable. Jesus' love has no boundaries. There is no place that sin takes you or me That Jesus' love will not reach and enter. No addiction, no abortion, no hurt or hang-up or habit that you are in or ever been part of keeps Jesus' love away from you. There is no wall that can come between us and Jesus. That's why he came. He came for sinful people. 
You saw in the song that we just sang that God demonstrated his love to us while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus died for us at our worst, not our best. Jesus' love requires no credentials on our behalf. You don't have to earn your way to him. You don't have to improve yourself before he will accept you. There is no conditions for Jesus' love. Jesus' love has no favorites. Think about it this way. Jesus doesn't love saints more than he does sinners. Amen to that? Think about that. He doesn't love saints more than he does sinners. He doesn't love you at your best more than he does love you at your worst. There's not a moment that you're in the armpit of sin or committing a sin or last night or this morning or will do this week that Jesus said, you know what, I don't love you as much now as I did when when you were all in for me, when you were studying the Bible, when you were sharing your faith, when you're being kind to your neighbors, when there was love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in your life. Jesus' love is never different. He loves saints and sinners the same. So these Pharisees are blown away by this because we live in a world that conditions our love. I'll love you if you love me back. And we'll even do this. We'll we'll have friends based upon what they can do for us. Jesus never loved someone based upon what they could do or couldn't do for them. He never wants to be with us only because of good things we have done. And so the Pharisees are struggling with this. Let me just pull away and personalize this. I pray that we never become a church. I pray that we're never a church that chooses never to love everyone. Now, we want to go to them with the hope of Christ, but it would be a tragedy if we became a group of people that always collected and worshiped together, had Bible studies together, studied God's word, know it better, and that we never went after and left the 99 to go get the one. Jesus is saying, leave the 99. The one that's lost is just as valuable to me as the 99 that are found. We get into trouble quickly when we begin to say, just feed me, feed me, feed me. Let's build us, build us, build us. Let's become smarter, more intelligent. And where our level of obedience is less than our level of intelligence. Jesus said, the one that is lost that's in this community is as valuable even as a sinner in the armpit of sin, as the saint that might worship on a Sunday morning in grace. May we never, too, become like the Pharisees and say this, I want to leave this workplace. I can't wait to get out of this workplace because all they do is cuss. And all they do is, is drink and on the weekends and do drugs. And I've just had it. I can't take it anymore. I need to get in an environment where everyone loves Jesus. What? That's what the Pharisees wanted. We must be in environments where the light of Christ can take light to darkness. Can I get one amen out of that? Here's another thing. Parents, let me speak to you. How many of you are coddling your kids, protecting your kids, keeping people away, other kids away? Now, I understand that wise walk with the wise, but are you coddling your kids so much that they don't even know or have a chance? They don't even have one unsaved. Let me ask you, how many unsaved friends do your kids have? Can you name them? If your, friend, if your kids don't have any unsaved friends, then your family's not on mission. You are the light of Christ. Jesus sat with unsaved sinners. Why? Because they're lost. There's nothing more beautiful than seeing your child rescue a friend of theirs and introducing them 
to Jesus Christ. I never want to be like Pharisees who stay in their holy huddles. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus didn't want heaven without us. Jesus brought heaven down. Our sin is great and separates us from God. But his love is greater and it bridges the gap. That's why we have Christmas. See, Jesus is a grave robber. Your sin might take you six feet under, but Jesus can bring dead things back to life. That's the picture of Christmas. That's why Jesus came. He's on a search and rescue mission for you and me. Someone rescued you. Imagine if you took the same philosophy that you might want to take with your family, your kids, and others took that philosophy of you. Don't touch them. They don't know Christ. Don't, don't hang out with them. Don't go there. They don't know Jesus. Then who in the world will, would have reached you if someone didn't come to you? You are never too far gone for Jesus to find you. No matter how horribly you failed at faithfulness, friendship, and family, Jesus can reach you. Jesus loves you. Jesus wants to be your forever friend. Now, when you look at this account, here's the moral of the story. This is what Jesus is saying in a nutshell in this this parable here. The found sheep must be left before the lost sheep can be found. Did you hear that? The found sheep, the church, someone's got to leave them and go to the lost sheep to find them. That's what Jesus did for us. Imagine Jesus not coming for us. The story is this. We must be on mission. Jesus tells this story trying to describe to the super religious that everyone is worth rescuing. Everyone is. You see, I've never met a person that Jesus didn't love and die for, nor will you. And if Jesus came and died for us, then every person is worth reaching. Christmas is a search and rescue mission. You will never get lost in the crowd with Jesus. Now look how he tells this story. I love the words that Jesus uses here. They're all action words. Look at this account. We'll walk you through them. I'm going to show you. It's action. He puts us on action. Look at verse 3. It says, then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loves one of them. Then it loses one of them. Doesn't he what? What's the word? Leave the 99. Okay, there it is. He leaves the 99 in the open country. And the next two words, what? And what? Go after. He leaves. He goes after. The lost sheep until he what? What's the next two words? He finds. He leaves. He goes after. He finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully does what? What are the next three words? Puts it on his shoulders. He leaves. He goes after. He finds. He puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he does what with his friends? What's it say? Calls his friends and neighbors together and says. So here's the picture. He leaves, he goes after, he finds, he puts on, he calls his friends. And he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Hold on to that thought. It doesn't say the lost sheep. It says my lost sheep. We're coming back to that. Verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Think about this. He leaves the found ones. That's exactly what love does. In other words, he is saying that the lost one is just as valuable as the 99 found ones. 
but we live in a world that says just the opposite, doesn't it? Like, seriously. If you're at the free throw line shooting basket hoops, and you're shooting free throws, and you hit 99 out of 100 free throws, that's a good day. Like, that's a great season. And you wouldn't be disappointed at all. 99 out of 100. If, if you're taking a final exam in, in high school, junior high, this week or last week or in college, a lot of our college students are home, and you got back a, back a test grade that said you got 99 out of 100, wouldn't it be, woohoo? Like, you wouldn't even worry about that one, would you? Yet Jesus is saying just the opposite. He's saying to us that the 99 that are already found, the one that's lost is worth finding, is worth going after, is worth giving everything you got to find because we can't move on until, 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 until we find the lost one. That's the picture that's there. But think about in business. If you're, if you're building RVs and you run 100 RVs and 99 of them, like they pass the tolerances, inspection, quality control, and you got 99 RVs. Like, and then there's that one that comes through. It doesn't pass quality control. It doesn't pass inspection. What do you do with it? Well, you know what you, know you might do? I'll just write that off with the tax credit. I'm just going to write it off. And you celebrate. And you bring your employees around and say, yeah, we got 99 out of 100. We'll just write that one off. Listen to me. Jesus never writes off anything for tax credits. He hunts them down and looks for them because he loves them. That's the picture. The 99 aren't any more valuable than the one. Aren't you glad Jesus came for you? Aren't you glad he didn't say, I got enough. I don't need to come after Jimmy Brown no more. I don't need to come after his family. I am grateful that someone left the church doors of Hagerstown, Maryland and hunted my mom down and hunted me down. You see, the minute we say, let's get in a holy huddle, let's learn more, the church is only for the saints, then we are missing out on what Jesus is saying here. Leave the 99 and go find the one. Then it says this. He says, he goes after I would say he's still going after that lost sheep. However, many people live a large part of their lives believing everything is okay with them. Some are building their portfolios on earth and preparing for retirement, thinking they are on perfect track for security. Yet one day we'll stand before Jesus and hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. It could be you. It could be you here today at Grace Community Church. It could be you standing up and saying, but I served. I served with the youth. I even worked with junior high girls and junior high boys. I gave my life. Lord, that's got to mean something. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and repented of your sin, no good deed will ever, ever give you a relationship with the God of the universe. Depart from me. I never knew you. So he goes after. Then it says this. He leaves, he goes after. And I look at verse four, it says at the end, he goes after the lost sheep until he finds it. That big until, I love. It shows his heart. Until, 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 until he finds it. He never stops looking and he never comes back until he finds you. Jesus is on a search and rescue mission for lost people. There is no place you can go that he can't find you. Besides, a lost person can't find their way home. How will they ever find their way back on their own? The lost sheep will remain lost until we find them. Until we find them. Until we find them. That's the picture. 
Let me ask you a real personal question. Who are you until you find them? Can you name five people right now? Can you name five Christians? Relationships you have? Probably. Can you name five unsaved people? Until they come to Jesus. Until they come to Jesus. Until they come to Jesus. Listen, we need to value those as much as we do the found 99. And it begins with dads leading the way, sitting with their kids and saying, there's five unsaved friends I have. There's 10 unsaved friends. There's one unsaved friend. And until they come to Jesus, I'm going to keep coming after him and modeling that in front of their families. Not saying, let's have another Bible study. Let's have another Bible study. It's saying, we know the word of God. We've learned the word of God. Let's put it into action. The 99 aren't more valuable than the one. What's he do next? He puts it on his shoulder. I love this picture. He grabs the lost sheep and puts it on his shoulder. The sheep is in the wilderness, far from home, and has a treacherous long trip home. And the shepherd is with him the whole way home. And the word of God says, once God finds us, and once we trust in him as our Lord and Savior, he will never leave us nor forsake us, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Amen to that? That's the picture of how much God loves us. You see, salvation is more than an eternity in heaven. It's a relationship with him on earth. When we go through hard times, good times, easy times, hard times, bad times, whatever the time, Jesus never leaves us. Every person alive needs someone to walk with them. Why not have Jesus with you? He puts them on the shoulder. No matter how difficult the journey is ahead of you, you and I will never walk alone when Jesus finds you. What's he do next? It says he calls his friends and neighbors and says, let's throw a party. Can I ask you a personal question? Do you know your neighbor's names? Could you even call your neighbors up? Like, could you, do you know their numbers and names? And could you say, hey, Terry, come on over. And like, well, they, they live down the road. Don't you drive by their house every day? Have you ever pulled in the driveway and asked them their name? Yeah, but they're like six houses down and they drive in and they close the garage door behind them and I never see them. It's like, they just turn their back to the world. Doesn't mean you have to. If you don't know your neighbor's names, are you really making a dent in your neighborhood? He calls his friends and neighbors. You know why he calls his friends and neighbors? Because he knew them. He invested in them. And he got out of his house. And he was, he was loving on them and, and, and letting them know that Jesus is real. That's, that's what people do. So he calls his friends and neighbors. He has a party and he says, let's celebrate. The shepherd doesn't say to that person, that sheep, he doesn't say that sheep too. You wasted my time. Don't you realize how hard this has been? Don't you realize what this has done to your mother for the last six months? Don't you realize that, that we got ulcers because of you? No, he doesn't say any of that. He just puts them on the shoulder. He calls his friends and the loss has been found. Let's bring out a party. That's love. That's what love does. You see, when Jesus found you, he didn't say, I can't believe you wasted 30 years of your life. I can't believe you had that addiction. Like, why did you do that? No, he just saves you. And then it says there's more rejoicing in heaven over one that's lost than the 99 that are sitting in a church that already have been found. See, here's what I know also. You bring a lost person that's been found recently into your neighborhood and into your Bible study and into your church and into your van, you know what happens? All of a sudden you see this fresh fire 
that hasn't been maybe in your vein for a while. Why? Because they know what they have been saved from. You just do. You see, I'll say this and I'll keep saying it. Some of us have been saved from so long that we forget what we've been saved from and our hearts are callous. More information, give me more info, 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 info. Instead of looking and looking and searching and hunting and sharing our faith. You want it? You want your heart to come alive? Go share your faith. When Jesus sent out the 70 and twos, they came back filled with joy. Why? Because they were sharing their faith. And he says, they had a party. Rejoice because the lost has been found. I love what he says about the sheep in verse six. Look what he says in verse six then. He says in verse five, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors and says, rejoice with me, I have found, what kind of sheep? What's he say? My lost sheep. That's a good question. Why is he called his lost sheep? And why does he call it my lost sheep? How can an unsaved person be a my sheep to God? Pastor Jim, aren't we children of God after we come to Christ? Like, how can he say, my, I found my lost sheep? Well, let me tell you something that we all know, but we need to hear. We have all been created in the image of God. We're all image bearers. We have his personhood. You look at us, we bear the image of God. We are his children based upon him being the creator and us being the creations. So they are my sheep. Now, redemption changes it and personalizes it and said, not only my sheep, but my children. We become God's children, sons and daughters, when we trust in him. But we are his sheep, and he wants to rescue us. Why? Because he created us. We bear his image. And he says, look what he says. I love how he says it. He says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. He makes a big deal about each one of us. You see, nothing can stop Jesus from finding you. There's no wall that could ever be placed between you and me that could keep him from rescuing us. And let me just say this, using the same analogy. If we're really honest, there's a little sheep in all of us and a lot of sheep in most of us. We want to do our own thing. We want to do it our own way, go our own way. We don't like when people tell us how to do it. We get upset if someone has a different opinion than us. We, we too often follow our own desires until one day we discover that we're far away from God. Many of us have no idea how we got into the mess we are in until we're in the mess that we're in. Let me just say it this way. I was a sheep farmer for one week in my life, in all seriousness. When Ann and I lived in Hagerstown, Maryland, our pastor at the time, John Taylor, was going on vacation, and he asked me if I would come by and, be, and take care of his sheep. I said, sure. So I went over to his house. He lived on a farm. He said, this is where the sheep stay. He said, this is where you feed them. This is where the feed is. I thought, five days, five nights, piece of cake. I'll help out our pastor. We love our pastor. So I'd get off work from construction, and I, I would work my way there. The first night, I went to, to go feed the sheep. There were plenty of food there. And so on my way there, I'm excited. Hey, get to help out Pastor John. And as I'm getting close to the farm, I look ahead of me, and there's three sheep standing in the middle of the road. Like, what are the sheep doing in the middle of the road? So I soon realized they were his sheep. They were marked. And so I, what do you do to a sheep? I didn't know how to woo a sheep. I mean, I had been a sheep farmer for like two hours. 
I mean, what do you do? So I stood in the middle of the road like this. <laughs> Finally, a little coaxing and pushing and shoving. And after opening up the gate and keeping the other sheep from running out, I pushed them back in. And so I walked around the perimeter of the fence. And I noticed there was a hole in the fence, probably where the sheep had gotten out. So I took some bailing twine that was in the barn and I tied and looped it and looped it and I felt, I'm good. Fed the sheep and drove away. Next day I go back, no exaggeration, I'm driving back to the same barn. There's six sheep standing in the middle of the road. Put them back in, tried to find the hole in the fence. We're prone to wonder, aren't we? Just like sheep. And so day after day I came back and it was... Next day, I came back a couple days later. I kid you not, the last day I was there, finally I mended all the holes in the fence. I came back. He had a whole whole, uh, group of sheep, and and there were probably 20 or 30 of them. And I came back one day, and I'm driving down the road and looking out, and 10 of the sheep had their heads through the fence eating the grass on the other side of the fence. We're prone to wander. We're prone to get lost. There's a little sheep in all of us. And many of us have no idea how we got to where we are. We find ourselves walled away from God. And so all of us, in some form or fashion, have walled ourselves away. It's like we, we built these walls around us. We're in these situations and it, it appears that God can't reach us. Either things that we've done on our own or things that have been done against us or attitudes that we have. And so we have these walls that we place in our life and and we're wondering if God sees us. And the first wall is this. We don't know how to find our way back. We're in this mess. And so maybe we're in this mess and we wandered off and it was just a a bad decision here and a bad decision there. And before we know it, we're, we're far away from God. We're standing in the middle of the wilderness. Maybe we're depressed, we're afraid, we're scared. Darkness is set in, loneliness, and we wonder, God, do you see me? God, God, I don't know how to get back home. And so there are these people who have just made poor choices that are far from God and don't even have a clue how to get back. They've walled themselves off because they've just wandered away. And some of us wonder if we're too far gone because of the sins we've committed. And so... We said in this wall, oh Lord, I've done so much and I've hurt my mom and I've hurt my dad and and I failed in this marriage and I got this addiction and and the enemy's whispering, you're not worth it and I've had an abortion and and I've, I've, I've done heinous acts and I'm a felon and and I've served time and I've just done too much, God. There, there's no way you want to reach me. And we think when we cry out that this wall between us because of all these sinful acts will keep God from reaching us. There's all kinds of walls and lies that we believe. Another wall that we, that we place around us, some of us don't want to be found. Think about that. And it's, it's called pride. We step, and we don't even know we've built a wall. We stand here. We don't want to be found. I'm good. I'm fine. Look at, look at my portfolio. Hey, I help the poor, and my wife and I are doing well. The kids are healthy. I got a good retirement and security. Go after someone who needs help. I don't need help. Look at me. I'm lost. But hey, if you ask me if I'm lost, oh, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Listen, I, I would never admit I need help. Some of us let pride 
put a wall between us and God. I'm okay. I got it in control one of these days. And some of us are lost, but we think we are found because of a religious spirit. And to be quite frank, this is the group that concerns me the most. This group is this group. Oh, when I was in second grade, I loved Jesus. And my family, they've always went to church. And I went to church my whole life. My dad was a preacher. And listen, I've served, and I'm a small group leader, and I serve in Kid City, and I walk in the 4-H parade. Holy cow, God, that's worth something. Three miles of that 90-degree heat. Some of us have this religious spirit. We keep checking off this list, and I'm okay, I'm okay. And We have this intellectual view of God. Yeah, I believe in God, yeah. I, I, I believe in my head, but I don't believe in my heart. And one day, Jesus says this, that many will stand before him and say, but Lord... I was part of that blitz. But Lord, I played on the worship team. But Lord, I was a pastor. But Lord, I was a small group leader. But Lord, I walked in the parade. But Lord, I got a blue crew shirt. But Lord, I was a greeter. But Lord, I was an usher. But Lord, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord. And he is going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. There would be nothing more that would break my heart than to stand before God one day And for God to tell me that these people who went to your church, Jim, they sat there for years. Teens. They grew up as teenagers and became adults. They went off to college and came back and had kids. And they never trusted and repented of their sin and followed me. They just had a life that was going through the motions. That would break my heart. And Jesus is saying this. Many of you are right there. Many. Not few, many. I have a friend that, Ann and I have a friend that we went to church with when we were in Warsaw. We served with the the youth group there while I was a seminary student. Dear brother in the Lord. Knew him and he was an elder in the church and went to the same college that we went to. Went to seminary where I went to and And he came to a conclusion that he had spent all of his life going through the motions and never truly knew Jesus. It's a story that we've heard for some of us, but many of us haven't, and it's worth replaying. Take a look at this. My name is Dave Alcorn, and this is my story. On October 7th, 2012, a totally unexpected event occurred in my life. It was unexpected from my perspective, but definitely not from God's. That day will always be a memorial to God's patience, his infinite love and mercy, and his relentless pursuit of a stubborn heart. During that Sunday, God led me to repent of my sin. He saved me. I accepted what what Christ did on the cross for me personally. I was no longer playing games. I was, I was a child of God. This was unexpected because for almost 40 years, I had been faking a relationship with Jesus Christ. From all outward appearances, I was a believer. I behaved like a Christian did. I said the words that a Christian is supposed to say. I truly believed I was born again. My heart was that blinded and hard. I was even raised in a Christian home. I made a profession of faith when I was in second grade during Sunday school. During my elementary and high school years, 
though I would have frequent struggles with assurance of my salvation, but I was always able to shrug it off pretty easily. I would go through a mental checklist. Yes, I know I'm a sinner. Yes, my sin is condemning me to hell. Yes, Jesus died in my place to pay for my sins. Yes, I accepted Christ into my heart. So I'm fine. I'm saved. Those struggles became less and less frequent. And looking back, it's because my heart was getting harder and harder. My dad was on the faculty at Grace College in Winter Lake, Indiana, so it seemed natural that I would go there for my studies. I started out as a pre-med, pre-pharmacy major, but at the end of my freshman year, I felt called to switch my major to biblical studies, thinking I would end up on the mission field somewhere. Shortly after graduation, Anita and I got married, and we both felt that God wanted us to serve Him in, in four missions. So I enrolled in Grace Seminary and got my master's degree. We were appointed by a mission board to head to Norway. We tried raising support for four years. God ended that by me making some very sinful decisions. Looking back, it's because I wasn't a believer. In reality, how can you tell somebody about Jesus and plant churches if you don't know Jesus personally yourself? All that Christian activity I was engaged in was, was just empty. I was just going through the motions. I settled into a career in the business world, but kept on playing church, teaching Sunday school, being a leader in our local church, just going through the routines of Christianity. I am so thankful for my wife and her spiritual sensitivity. You see, I was content at our other church, but Anita wasn't. She felt God led her to say to me, hey, let's go hear Jim preach. So Easter 2009 was our first service at Grace Community Church. God knew he wanted me in a different environment where he could continue his pursuit of my rebellious heart. Once we became regular attendees here, we became quickly involved. We volunteered in Kid City, we joined a small group, we were involved in blitzes, I even joined the church. I'm still amazed at how deceived I was that I was able to present a believable testimony. Even now I feel bad about lying to Pastor Jeremiah since he was the one who interviewed us as part of the membership process. The emphasis on men's ministry here at Grace, I believe, is one reason God brought us here. God's used many men here to chip away at my hard heart, both by the words that they say and, more importantly, the way they live out their faith. Fast forward to fall of 2012. In the weeks leading up to October 7th, I decided that I wanted to do Fight Club. I needed spiritual and physical discipline in my life. and. Fight Club was a way to make that change. Little did I know that God had a much bigger change in mind. Well, that first week in October was also the Wild at Heart Men's Retreat in Maryland. And at first I didn't think I was going to be able to go, but some circumstances changed the last minute and I was able to sign up before the, the cutoff. The key conversations occurred in our travel back and forth, sitting in a car for eight, nine, ten hours, listening to people tell what God has done in their life. I distinctly remember hearing one guy share how he became a Christian just a few years earlier and it just dawned on me, it's like, I've gone through my life knowing these things but I've never experienced that freedom. Pastor Jeremy was in our car and he just happened to read the passage from Matthew that Jim was going to preach on the next Sunday, the next day actually. Those words just echoed in my head and I know that night 
the Spirit was using the Word of God to convict my heart. That morning when I woke up, I just knew that something was going to happen that day. I had no idea what, but by the time I got to the service and the service started, I could just, you know, those walls of, of self-deception, those walls of my doubts, that, I mean, everything just came crashing down. I'm usually a pretty good note taker, but that morning it was just very short. I had a few paragraphs and then a couple of sentences. By the middle of the sermon, you know, I was ready. It was time to make a change. So I couldn't wait for Jim to stop the, the message and open up the, the floor for the invitation. I was up front. I was before God. He gave me the, the gift of faith that led to repentance. I confessed my sins. I accepted what Christ did on, on the cross for me. And for the first time in my life, I can truly celebrate Christmas. Part of our family's Christmas tradition, we would always read the Christmas story. Until this year, even though it's been a beautiful story and is a beautiful story, they were just empty words. But this year, I can truly celebrate the birth of my Savior because I have made the choice to bring Jesus home. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know what wall has been formed around you. But what I do know is the decisions to trust Jesus Christ can only happen for you personally. Your mom can't do it for you. Your dad can't do it for you. Your friend can't do it for you. And it would be a tragedy to know that one day you stand before God and you heard the gospel over and over and over again. And you never repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ. Because the alternative to heaven is hell. Hell is a real place, a literal place where people who don't know Jesus will spend their eternity. The Bible is clear. That's what happens. Depart from me, I never knew you. So if you're believing the lie that somehow you've sinned too much and you've got to get all cleaned up to come to Jesus, it's a lie. Just trust in Jesus today. If you think you're okay and that your life is in a good place and go help someone else, you're okay, you're lost and you don't even want to admit it. And maybe you just wandered away. It was just this step here and this step here, and all of a sudden you're, you're so far out, you don't even know how to find your way back. Jesus sees you and loves you and wants to rescue you. And maybe you're like my friend Dave. You've spent your whole life in church. Maybe you're a teenager here today, a college student's home on break, and you're realizing, I've just gone through the motions. Today can be the day of salvation. Today is the day that Christ can save you. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Please don't leave. If you've got something to do, just hold on. This is the most important decision in a person's life. If you're here today and you're uncertain and you're wavering, this isn't a decision that you waver on. You have doubts and you're uncertain. The Bible is clear if we repent of our sin, because Romans 3.23 says we all fall short of God because of our sin. Romans 6.28 says for the wages of that sin is death. Romans 10.9 and 10 says if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe he was raised from the dead, we will be saved. Ephesians 2.8 reminds us that it's not by works that we're saved, but by grace. There's this free gift that's available to you this morning. It could be the best Christmas gift ever. 
and it's Jesus. So if you'd like to trust in Jesus today, like many have already done, I encourage you to confess with your mouth and repent of your sin and to ask Jesus to be the Lord and leader of your life. So how do you do that? Well, it happens through prayer. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's something that's already happened in your heart. Confession is saying back what you're already thinking. It happens through prayer. So would you quietly just pray this? If you want to trust in Jesus on your own, not because mom and dad, not because they've been part of the church their whole life and you have, but because you want to repent and make Jesus the Lord and leader of your life. Just pray this with me. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner and I fall short of you, God. And I know the wages of sin is death, so I confess my sin. And I ask you to forgive me of that sin. Not even just past, but present and future. And I ask you to save my soul. And I surrender my will. And I will follow you the rest of the days of my life. The Bible is clear that when we do that, Jesus saves us. No questions asked. So as your heads are bowed in the link and here in the main, I just, I think it's important that we acknowledge that step. This isn't one that we're ashamed of. We boldly proclaim that Jesus is Lord of my life and I trusted in him and him alone. So if you're in this room today and today was the day that you trusted in Jesus and you just confess with your mouth, I want you to do what a ton of other people have already done in the other service. Just acknowledge that. So would you just hold your hand up so I can see it? Just hold up. Don't be ashamed. Just today I trust in Jesus. Today I know. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. Come on. Come on. Just hold it up. Thank you, Lord. All across this room and across the link, I'm sure too. So Lord, I pray for these individuals. I pray, God, that you would empower them in a fresh way. I pray that the spirit of God that now lives in them would give them good discernment and and that you would comfort them and that you would enable them to do things they've never done before and they will utilize this unfair advantage of the spirit to reach others. And God, we rejoice because the one that was lost is now found. And we know from scripture that there's a party going on in heaven right now because there's great rejoicing that takes place over one who repents. So Lord, we rejoice and we say thank you that you keep rescuing and For many in this room and throughout this day, this has been the best Christmas ever. I ask you to stand. Everyone stand in the main link. I just want to show you something throughout the services today. We've asked people to come and as a a token, as a reminder of a decision that you've made, is to take this block with you. You could put it in your, your house, maybe in your office, and you just put it on the shelf. It says, love broke through. It's a reminder that on this day, December 2017, that you trusted in Jesus Christ. It's good to have a a, a reminder. It's maybe you stick it under the tree all Christmas and say, this is the best Christmas gift ever. Another thing we would love for you to do, I think it's important that is to acknowledge before others, because when this one was found, Jesus didn't just keep it to himself. He came back. He called his friends and his neighbors. He said, we're having a party. Why? Because he wanted to celebrate someone trusting in Jesus. Now, this is where it gets a little more challenging for you, and it shouldn't. 
we want you to come. And all throughout the service today, we've had people come and they've put their hand in this detergent and they put it on this wall, symbolically saying, I was lost, but Jesus, you found me, you saw me. And throughout our services today, we've had a bunch of people come who have trusted in Jesus. So we're asking you to do the same, to come. Walk up here, put your hand in the detergent and say, I was found, I was found, I was found, I was found. And we'd love to give you a reminder of that. So here, listen to me. This is where it gets challenging. Some of you might be afraid, well, what would they think? I've been coming to Grace for a while and my mom and dad, what would they think? Well, my husband, you know what they'll think? Praise the Lord. So I ask you to come and join the others that have come today. Put your handprint on the wall and receive a block as we sing this song. So just come, please.